Mosaic, I wanted to introduce myself. My name is Anna. I'm up here in the band sometimes. I'm also a nurse at OHSU and I live in Southwest. I'm gonna be reading our passage from the scripture this morning. At the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord and you're going to respond with me. Thanks be to God. Please stand as we read the scripture. This is Luke 7, 18 through 35. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All of the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Anna. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you are, if you're watching from home or at another time, welcome in. Glad you're here. And 
uh, and participating. And, and if you're here in the room, uh, glad that you're here enjoying the air conditioning and singing and being together. Okay, that's all right. Hey, uh, I, do, uh, I do need to say, I've, uh, over the last 48 hours, I've done uh, a lot of reading, uh, a lot of listening, uh, a little bit of talking, um, and a lot of prayer reflection and processing. Uh, uh, since Friday morning, when the decision was announced that the Supreme Court of the United States made the decision uh, to return the, the right to end a pregnancy to the states. Um, if you did not know that that had happened, um, thank you for coming straight here from your camping trip. <clears throat> um, one of the things that has stuck with me uh, that I read um, was from a lawyer who's a follower of Jesus. Uh, and he, he wrote, um, a just nation protects the life of an unborn and the life of all the living. A moral nation values the life of the unborn and of all the living. You might need to chew on that a little bit. What stuck with me so much was that when you use the word just in terms of legalities of a nation and you use the term moral in any context, it makes it very clear the things that you can legislate and the things that you can't legislate. A few weeks ago, we covered for a number of weeks some of Jesus' teachings that are known as the Sermon on the Plain, which repeat a lot of his teachings in a longer sermon that he gave called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it's these high calling to things that laws don't have any impact on. And as I've watched and listened and talked to the whole range of response of elation and celebration and joy to fear, frustration, and anger, reminded of the obvious that we live in a very divided time and what you are doing right now, whether you're sitting in this room or whether you're watching online, is intended to invite and call and challenge us to be unified in Jesus above and beyond all of the divisiveness that exists outside of this time, this family, and right now in some ways this, this physical building. And there's a lot of ways to respond and so we have in front of us this wonderful opportunity to respond in kindness and goodness and mercy when many, many people are failing to do that. And so would we be the kind of people that represent Jesus really well and that we're known for our graciousness, our mercy, our kindness, and our goodness in this very moment? Now, some of you may have noticed as you, if you were here in the building, as you came and parked, or as if you looked online, that some destruction and violence happened literally right, right here. About 700 feet that way, a Starbucks was destroyed, a pregnancy center 
education center, my child and mother health education building, 300 feet that way was damaged. Three banks within a stone's throw of here were damaged. Well, two maybe within a stone's throw, one, depending on your arm. Right here in Hollywood District in Portland, violence was done to buildings. Let's, let's be a light that is very, very different than that darkness. Regardless of where you stand and what you think and how you want to respond and what you're feeling in this moment, Jesus invites us to something that cannot be legislated. And so let's represent that really, really well. It's also a call to peace, and so I want to invite you to pray with me right now, and let's pray together uh, for peace and healing and a whole lot of kindness and goodness and mercy in this moment. God, we just sang the words that you are faithful, and it's one of the things that you demonstrate, tell us, and remind us over and over and over and over and over again in your scriptures, that you are faithful. And so help us to lean on that, to be grounded in that, to depend on that, and to in a way demonstrate that we believe and have experienced the truth of your faithfulness in our life right in this moment. We declare in this place and at this time and in our lives that you are a God of all justice, of all mercy, of all healing and power and goodness. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our thoughts, our emotions, our moment right now. Would you work and move and convict and heal and be with us? And Jesus, you lay down your life for each and every one of us. Would we find new ways to emulate that this afternoon, this week, this summer? Would we more and more look like you in this world? As we look to your word now, Jesus, would you guide us and would you teach us as we read some of the words that you spoke, as we read the story that you lived out, would you form us by it? Would you help us with it? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Find your way to Luke chapter 7. Anna just read it for us. Uh, we are in the middle of uh, five stories of faith. Um, we uh, as we're working through the book of Luke, we're taking our time. A number of weeks ago, as I mentioned, we, we read some of Jesus' teachings. And then what happens is when we read teachings from Jesus, then because we've heard them and we've digested them to some degree or another, we're invited and called to respond. And so what we have in these five stories that we're right in the middle of is responses to Jesus' teachings, responses to Jesus. And so this is fun, some of what we, what we find in these five stories. The first is that there's examples of both the absence and presence of, of faith. Uh, then we find that, that faith uh, involves humility, gratitude, and service. We're going to see that. We have seen that. We will continue to see it today in the next two weeks. Humility, as Faith the Centurion a couple weeks ago, was humble. He had power and authority, and yet he humbled himself to say, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house to heal. There is no ethnic, ethnic or gender hierarchy in Jesus' invitation. So when Jesus invites humanity to him, there's not a hierarchy or a, a higher or a lower place of people depending on who they are, their ethnicity, their gender, specifically in these five stories, that Jesus comes for all equally. The centurion was not a, was not a Jew. Um, he most likely also wasn't a Roman. He was some other ethnicity come into the, the land of Israel and have this kind of mercenary spot as a centurion. 
And Jesus invites him in. The next, next week and the following week are going to be two weeks that highlight how Jesus invited women in. The next, next week is known as the Exemplary Sinner. It's a fantastic story. And the week after that is a story of faith of women who financially supported Jesus. All are invited to follow Jesus equally. Faith. Jesus is, these five stories are stories of faith in Jesus, the people have chosen to follow Jesus and what that looks like. And for some of us, we are in a moment right now in our own faith where we could stand up and tell a story. This is what Jesus is doing in my life right now. This is what he's done in my recent past. This is where I see him at working. And others of us are very, very far from that. That standing up and saying, I can see Jesus at work in my life is something that we long for, that we wish that we could do that we want Jesus to do something in us and to bring us to a place of life again or maybe for the first time that we've not experienced. That rather than being a living story of faith in Jesus right now, what we are actually experiencing is a very, very thin, barely there faith. That even to say faith sounds like a step of faith, that it's not quite there yet. In fact, for many of us, we are in a place of just being confused, of being puzzled, of, of maybe this word that might sound fearful to some of us, but we find ourselves in a, in a moment of doubt, that we're doubting and questioning and we're not quite sure. What these stories that we're in do for us is Jesus gently and clearly wraps his arms around all of that and says all of that is actually faith. That whether you can identify clearly where God is working in your life right now, or if you're far more familiar with this sense of doubt and questioning, Jesus says this is all part of faith. I came across this, this quote from a uh, New Testament scholar who, I just want to read the first half of it right now. We'll get to the second half of it later on, but the first half of it right now, he says this. The psychological adversity, the psychological adversity of doubt carries the seed of real growth. Chew on that for just a moment. The psychological adversity of doubt carries the seed of real growth. There you have a scholar saying, yeah, I've been there. You have a scholar saying, I've walked with people, I've seen people, I can tell you my own personal story of doubting, deeply doubting if Jesus is real or not, if God loves me if God created all of this, if this is all real or some figment of my imagination or something else, or I just don't know, but actually getting to the point of saying that helped me move forward and place my faith in Jesus in a renewed way, that there's seeds of real growth, that doubt, rather than something to be avoided at all costs, is a place, another location, another moment where Jesus meets us. And that's what this story today is about. It's about puzzling and confusion and doubt and how Jesus responds when we're in those places. So let's do this. Let's look at, at some of this. We're not going to read all of it together again, but I want to pull out a few things of how Jesus meets us when we're in a place of doubt, confusion, or just plain asking questions and we're just puzzled. See, uh, John the Baptist 
Uh, he's kind of a crazy character. We, if you've been with us through this whole series, we looked at him earlier in the book of Luke. Uh, but John the Baptist is a little bit older uh, than Jesus and went ahead of him, was the forerunner for Jesus and saying, hey, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one is coming. Somebody special is coming. And John was just quite a character. He hung out in the, uh, in the forest a lot, out in the desert, in the wilderness, and he wore funny clothes and he, he had a very strict diet. Um, I think he ate absolutely no gluten his entire life. And he called people to come and be baptized to to repentance, to confess that they've been living apart from God. And John was this, this prophet, just holy man, kind of a crazy guy, but he had given everything for Jesus. And he found himself in a place that had generated some doubt. And we've, we've been there. You can all say, like, okay, I know a place in, in my life, a moment, an experience where all of a sudden I begin to doubt. Maybe it wasn't Jesus. Maybe it was just doubt to relationship, doubt your future, doubt something. That place, that location, that address for John was prison. That John found himself in prison, having essentially at that moment given up everything to point to Jesus. And so it seems fairly natural and predictable that he, as crazy in his kind of out there of a holy man as you can get. When the cell was dark and cold in the middle of the night and he was hungry and uncomfortable and alone, that he would begin to question, was it all worth it? If Jesus is who he claims to be, then this is absolutely all worth it. But if he's not, and I'm starting to question, not just because of my circumstances, because, but because Jesus isn't anything of what I anticipated him to be. John's kind of a fire and brimstone kind of guy. Jesus, rarely. And John is beginning to question, is Jesus really who? And so John, he, he gets a couple of his buddies to come over who, who are not in jail, and he says, hey, um, go ask Jesus if he is who he, who he says he is. Verse 20 says this. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one that's to come, or we expect someone else? Like, Jesus, you... You've done a lot of great things, and, and, and you're impressive in a lot of ways, but John is questioning if, if you're really the one to come. And so, is there going to be somebody better than you, or are you it? I mean, that's essentially what they're asking, right? And so they ask that. Here's Jesus' response. This is, this is fantastic. Check this out. At, the very time, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. At the, at the moment that they're asking him. So you kind of, like, just picture that scene for a moment. So, you, so, so if you're one of the guys that went to John's cell and John said, go ask Jesus this, and then you go over to Jesus and you're like, hey, hey Jesus, oh, okay, you're giving sight to that guy? Okay, just, just a minute. Okay, he can see now. Okay, great. Hey, can I ask you, oh, okay, you, okay, that, that lame guy is now running down the street. Okay, great. Can I, can I ask you a question? Are you it or is there somebody better? And you get the sense that Jesus is like, doesn't say anything, just like gives, bam, that guy can hear. Okay, okay whatever. Like, see the demon? Gone. This guy's free. Like, like that's, that's, what this, that's what the scene is. Okay? Jesus is, is healing people as they're asking, hey, Jesus, can you just take a break from healing somebody? I got a, I got a real important question. And now that I see what's happening, I'm just slightly embarrassed that I have to ask this, but, you know, John will clearly beat me senseless if I don't ask you this. So I have to ask you this. So he asked him this. Jesus then says, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. 
seen and heard. We're going to come back to that, but seen and heard. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And here it is. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who hear, uh, uh, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And he just rattles off the list. So the blind, blind people who could never see can now see. The lame who have never walked are, are starting to just run around and, and jog and, and play pickleball. Those that have leprosy are now, are now cleaned of, of leprosy. And if you don't know anything about leprosy, which hopefully you don't because it's not really part of our world now, but in that world at that time, it was like somebody was dead and they've been brought back to life. That their life was over, separated from family. They, did not have, they didn't have phones, they couldn't communicate. They were outside of this city. Their life was over as it was known. They were dead and Jesus was bringing them back to life and freeing them from leprosy. Those that never heard anything before could hear. And as if he's moving up this crescendoing level of impressiveness, the next thing he says is that the dead have been raised to life. And if you were here last week or listened in, Adam taught last week on Jesus raising somebody to life. But that's not even the highest one. He goes one step further than raising somebody from the dead. And do you know what the one step further is? The poor and the oppressed getting good news. So like, just off the cuff, I have to read that and see that in order to put that as a higher level. Because to me, raising somebody from the dead is pretty darn impressive. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The crescendo, the, the top of it, is that in real time right now, that the poor and the oppressed have gotten good news. Not that they're no longer poor, not that they're no longer oppressed, but they, they have heard good news. What Jesus is doing is he's saying to them, listen, in chapter four, Jesus doesn't say chapter four, but what he's saying is pointing back, hey, a couple months ago, do you remember what happened? And if you don't, let's just read it again. He stood up in a synagogue and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you don't know that story, what happens is they don't like that very much. They get in a little brief debate and then they chase him out of town and they start to plan to kill him. Jesus says, I'm the anointed one. I am the chosen one. I am the Messiah. And if you need, to, if you, if you need some reassurance of that, look at the people I just healed in front of you and know you've seen that and you've known. Talk to other people. Hear from others. I am doing what I said I would do. And no one else is doing it like this. I am absolutely unique. There is no one else like me. Go back to John and deliver this message. One of the ways, one of the ways that Jesus responds when you and I doubt, when you and I have questions, when you and I find ourselves, maybe it's not in prison, but maybe it's some other life circumstance where we go, this does not add up. This is not how I thought it would go. It is not how I want it to go. One of the ways that Jesus responds to us in that place is by saying, this is who I am. I am for real. I want to answer it. I want you to see me, and I want you to hear me. And Jesus reassures us and breaks in in powerful and significant and clear ways and says he is alive and active and working in this world. Now, that in and of itself takes a glimmer, a spark of faith to believe. But what we have is Jesus saying, John, 
my friend, whom I love, who I respect, who I admire, in your moment of doubt, in your moment of questioning, in your moment of confusion, know that I am the one that I claim to be. When we're in doubt, may we be like John and actually ask, do, do you do that? When you're in a moment of doubt, and, and maybe for some of you, you, you do, and you said, Tim, I don't need to hear that. I, I've asked and asked and asked and asked, and it is still absolutely silent. And I understand that and appreciate that and mourn with you that that's where you are right now. But for many of us, we ask questions and we're puzzled and we're confused and we doubt. And we don't ever stop and go, Jesus, are you here? We don't ever stop and go, Jesus, I'm going to read for a while. Will you show up and make sense of something to me? Will you break in to the depths of my soul and remind me that you're alive? Because I don't have it right now. Jesus is gracious enough and gentle enough and merciful enough that when we ask, he responds. Not always, but he is ready and available, and sometimes he responds to our doubt with clear questions. And one of the ways he does that is through Scripture. Another way that he does it is through friendship and relationship and the voice of other people, that we have people in our lives that we go to and say, you're further down the road. When I get in those places in my life, I need somebody that, is further, that has walked that journey before me, that has felt the pain and the darkness and the questioning, and I can hear how Jesus brought them out of it, and that deeply helps me, that I've gone to mentors over the course of my life and been able to bring them, this is where I'm at, Will you help me in this? Will you speak to me in this? Will you tell me what this was like for you? And they can do that. And for some of you, if you're encountering doubt for the first time, and you're talking to friends and peers, and it's not helping, can I encourage you to find somebody that's way down the road from you in years lived with Jesus? If you're saying, no, I have a friend or a mentor, uh, and, and I'm going to go to them, and they're, you know, maybe... Maybe they're 29 years old. I'm glad that you have that friend. But can I introduce you to somebody that's in their late 50s and 60s and 70s? I can do that. If you're like, I have nobody in my life right now, come talk to me. I can point you to somebody who has walked this journey with Jesus of wondering if he's even there and come back and then have lived for a decade or two beyond that and said, this is what Jesus has continued to do in my life. I guarantee you I can introduce you to somebody that can share their journey, their time, their joys and their pain with you. What happens next? Jesus sends them back and says, go tell John this. And then he turns to the crowd that's around him. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. This is, this is kind of like confusing, like what's going on here? What, what Jesus is doing is he's turning to the crowd and he's saying, hey, remember when you guys went, were following John and you, 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 know, you, you heard of this kind of this happening thing and you had the, you know, had the FOMO moment? You're like, I, I don't want to miss out what's going out on the Jordan River. I, I'm going to go out there and see something. Did you go out there to see a reed? Which is like, what does that mean? Well, he links it with people in fine clothes in palaces. The money at that time that was created by and largely owned by uh, Caesar and printed by Caesar, Caesar had put a reed on the money. 
And it was the sign of what was of, of the, the area of Galilee. And down by the Jordan, there would have been the same reeds there, and they would have been by the side of the, the river. And it was, it was like, hey, this is the money in this place, and this is a, a symbol of this place. And so what Jesus is saying, did you go down and look for a reed? Did you go down and look for somebody in fine clothes, like, a, like somebody that's in a palace that rules over you? The people with power and influence, the Caesars, the Herods, the kings of the time, were you going to look for another king of this world? And he says, but what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. One of the things that Jesus is doing here is he's both affirming John's place because John is now a question mark in all of his followers' mind. Is John losing it? Is John doubting? Is John not giving his, his life to Jesus any longer? You see, he's saying, no, 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 John's going to be all right, is one of the things he's saying. But Jesus is also turning the crowd and saying, you went to look for something that's real, that's beyond what you've been offered in this world, that you were going beyond looking for the ones that have money and control that, that have palaces and nice clothes and the control. You were looking beyond the power of this world. You had something, a searching in your heart that was good and real. And Jesus is saying, continue that. Don't lose that. You were looking for something and you found it in John because he pointed to me. And Jesus, of all humans who ever lived, both fully, he was the only one that's fully human and fully God, has absolutely the right and the arrogance to say, you were looking for the right thing. You were looking for me. Stick with me. Follow me. Continue to follow me. I know I don't look like what you expected, but you're seeing who I am and what I can do. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 31. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? And Jesus is talking specifically about the Pharisees and the, and the experts in the law, and not like legal experts, the experts in the law, the, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. It was the religious leaders that formed the culture and the, 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 the way of thinking and living for, for all of the crowd. And he's talking about them as that generation. To what then can I compare the people of this, of this generation, the experts in law and the Pharisees? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and, didn't, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. So we, we played something upbeat for you and you didn't move. We played something sad and you didn't move. You didn't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say, he's a demon. Please don't repeat this. Like, don't do this to somebody. If you're like somebody who doesn't eat fine food and, and drink wine, like, don't, don't just, you know, flippantly go, oh, you're, you're a demon. I read it in the Bible. That's not where Jesus is headed with this. He said, look at John. He'd lived this way, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law critiqued him and said he has a demon. And then Jesus points to himself and says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, in the context that he's in, in the first century, the influencers of that time were looking at John and critiquing him, and then turning and looking at Jesus and critiquing him, and they're doing the opposite things. They're demonstrating and behaving in opposite ways, and they get critique from both sides. And Jesus is saying, this is ridiculous. 
This is changing people's changing their rationale and changing the grid of evaluation and changing the assessment to suit themselves so that they remain in the center and in the place of control and of influence. And Jesus says, my followers, whether it's then in the first century or now in the 21st century, you will face opposition that at times makes no sense, that at times it sounds so informed and clear and educated and yet jumbled and irrational and nonsensical. And you're not the first to experience it. He says, that's what's going on here now. And so when you find yourself in opposition to that, to pressure to that, he said, he's, the invitation is, remain true to me. He's calling the crowd then, and he's pointing forward to John, who will hear from his messengers that Jesus says, this is what we've seen and heard from Jesus. That's what the messengers were saying. And then what does John do? John says, thank you. And he's encouraged, and his doubt begins to wane, and his faith begins to deepen and grow. And he decides to give his life and to continue to follow Jesus and not to renounce Jesus or say whatever he needs to say to get out of jail, and eventually he loses his head for it. He's beheaded. That John's faith deepens. And Jesus says, continue to follow me even when you're in opposition to things that maybe sound really, really well-informed but also do not make sense at all and are contrary to itself and hypocritical. Stay faithful to me. Here's the other half of the quote by Daryl Bach, a New Testament scholar. The psychological adversity of doubt carries the seed of real growth when the answer is sought from God's perspective. When the answer is sought from God's perspective, the psychological adversity of doubt that most all of us have experienced and felt in some way or another can have the seeds of growth. It can be a healthy, necessary step in our journey of following Jesus for the rest of our life if we turn to Jesus and to God and to his word and to seek the Holy Spirit and say, help me in my time of doubt. If we say, God, give me your perspective, help me to see your world, help me to see what is real. Jesus ends with this saying, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Jesus is saying, the evidence will be seen in your life and for all of eternity. Jesus is setting up. There is a different way to assess what is going on in this world. The Pharisees and the experts of law do not have it all. The prison guard and the executioner of John do not have it all. The leaders and the influencers and the power brokers of today do not have it all. Jesus is saying there is a kingdom coming that there is a kingdom here because the king is here and alive and it's growing and it's just the seeds of it that are unseen. But Jesus says, I am demonstrating it in these powerful, miraculous ways and it's going to continue on and it's going to grow. And at times it will be very, very hard to see. And so puzzles, puzzling and confusion and questioning and doubt will be very common and natural. But stay with me, return to me, be encouraged when I speak. No that your heart's desire for a better world, and more importantly, the ruler of that better world and the person and work of Jesus are worthy endeavors 
to continue to, to, to link your life with and your very soul and to stay faithful to. And Jesus Christ doesn't just say that and cast it out, that the, that the evidence of our life in the kingdom to come will prove the wisdom, the justice, the goodness, the rightness of what Jesus is doing and saying, but he puts his very life on the line. And he does something that makes absolutely no sense, that he enters in to the experience that only slaves and criminals had had and is crucified on a cross, that every assessment would have looked like defeat, and yet he conquers death and rises again. And he says, let me demonstrate to you the very thing that will break the power and presence of sin in all of our lives and in this world that will conquer death, the most powerful thing, and that will continue to set up more of my kingdom in this world that happens through me and through you right here and right now. We come into this place when we take time to open up God's word and to sing truths about who he is and what he's done, to remind ourselves in our times of moments of questioning and doubt that Jesus is alive and real. And he invites us into this wonderful practice of actually tangibly, physically touching and tasting his death and resurrection in the body and blood and the bread and the cup. And so we're gonna do that now. If you're watching online, if you take a moment just to grab something to take a sip of and something to take a bite of. If you're here in this room, we've got it on the sides down here. Um, I don't know if we've got it set up in the balcony right now, but a little piece of cracker and a little cup of juice to represent Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us. And we, we take it and taste it in the here and now, and we sing because he's alive and with us today. And Jesus, as we do this practice, as we come to your table yet again, would you meet us those of us that have doubts and questions, particularly right now, that we have gone through an experience of pain, of intellectual questionings that just do not end, of betrayal and loss, of a needed relationship, of whatever it is that has brought us to this point of doubting and questioning, would you meet us right here as we taste your body and drink your blood, this juice and this cracker that points us back to you who have broken all power of sin and death in our world and can meet us in the here and now. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.